2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's been a horrible weekend watching politicians trying to make party political points about the horrific murders of two young people in London on Friday afternoon. What we've learned in the past two days is that there are 74 jihadists out on the streets of Britain, similar to Muslim fanatic Usman Khan, whose rampage could have been so much worse were it not for the bravery of several members of the public. And also some just good fortune really. This is a guy uh, who was known to the police to be a terrorist. He was let out. Of prison early and he was on a train on his own all the way from the Midlands down to Euston where he could have made all sorts of dreadful attacks on all sorts of people who couldn't have got away from him. The tragic circumstances that led to the fatal stabbings have revealed that we as a country are not dealing properly with terrorists. That we have discovered that a series of governments have failed the people and a culture of rehabilitation and forgiveness fueled by a liberal ideology has created an atmosphere of danger for us all. We now live in a country where known terrorists can strike us at any time all they have to do is want to do it already one arrest has been made of one of khan's cohorts from stoke we obviously need to radically change our our approach and we need to do it now we're going to talk to dr paul stott research fellow at the henry jackson society 0344 Four nine nine one thousand. I know lots of you will want to talk about this this morning. Coming up later on, I'll be asking, what is the point of all these TV election debates after a slew of nonsense was paraded before us over the weekend? From Boris Johnson and Andrew Marr to the two ludicrous seven-headed affairs on Friday and Sunday. What exactly are we learning? All these people are saying the same thing over and over and over again. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. It's nearly uh, just 10 days to go until the election. Uh, you've probably made up your mind already, haven't you? Also, we will be wondering how a 27-day rail strike can actually continue. And we'll be asking what the big Cyber Monday deals are as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest grey radio station in the world. It is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So, looking at the um, aftermath of the dreadful events of Friday afternoon, uh, which happened literally just below the building from which I'm now broadcasting to you uh, here at London Bridge. London Bridge still closed down. Uh, PM accused of exploiting deaths in terror attacks uh, is the front page of The Guardian. Betrayed is the front page of The Daily Mirror. Uh, The Angel stolen by pure evil on the front page of The Sun. Uh, And, of course, The Times has the story. Spy Chiefs on alert for London Bridge copycats, because what we have discussed over the course uh, of the last few days is that basically the systems that we have in place for controlling known terrorists people who have been arrested and put into prison are simply no longer good enough and not fit for purpose let's talk to dr paul stott research at the henry jackson society paul a very good morning to you welcome Good morning, Mike. Um, it's hard to know where to begin here, really, isn't it? Because there are so many, like all of these terrible things that happen, there are so many things that have gone wrong sort of all at the same time. But there can be no doubt Boris Johnson uh, is probably right now to say that they have to change the rules, they have to change the way uh, that sentencing is done, they have to change the way that, that monitoring is done, and they have to change the whole system effectively, don't they?
3: Well, I think so, Mike. I think people are, uh, are shocked and angry. The, the one thing people are is surprised. yes. And I was just looking back, um, we did a a document on Islamist terrorist cases um, at the Henry Jackson Society, and the section on Usman Khan, his original sentence, he shouldn't have been eligible for parole until the 28th of August
2: 2021.
3: Right. And his expected automatic uh, release date uh, should have been the 28th of December 2026. And he should have been on an extended license until twenty thirty one All of that obviously changed with his uh, appeal, which gave him this sentence of sixteen years and then it seems he was automatically released, having served eight of uh, eight years of that and um, this really does need, we, we, we need a sea change now. We can't allow these mistakes to be repeated.
2: Well we really can't because the numbers of people out there, 74, I, su- I assume maybe 73 now because one of them's been arrested, uh, one of his cohorts enough, from the original yeah. uh, um, uh, case in Stoke. You know it seems to me that Dominic Lawson's written a great piece today in the Mail talking about a culture and an ideology uh, that we have in our prison systems and also in, in the sort of parole system if you like. We're of rehabilitation uh, and of, of course, um, you know, forgiveness of people and, and giving them a second chance and all of that. I mean, we sort of have to change that as well, don't we?
3: I, I think there's a, there's a need for a culture change on, on several um, levels, Mike. I, was, uh, I retweeted yesterday um, a, a piece... Uh, Somebody had written about these various sort of barristers and experts who appear on on Twitter and in some of the the comment pieces, giving you these sort of lofty opinions, but they don't really seem to tackle the fact that the sentencing system clearly isn't working if people can get out and commit such serious uh, offences. The idea that you can compare uh, or have similar procedures for somebody, for example, who's uh, a repeat offender committing burglaries or car theft or fraud and a convicted terrorist is clearly just nonsense. And if you look at Usman Khan's behaviour... You know, even when he was in prison, he seems to have been writing asking to be placed on de-radicalisation courses. I think, um, you know, he had some uh, support in, in, in getting on such a course. Um, you know, he appears to have been able to pull the wool over people's eyes, very well-meaning um people, but being well-meaning isn't necessarily the the dominant approach we should have when dealing with terrorists.
2: Well, exactly right, and this is what Dominic Lawson says today, amazing as it might be to so many alleged experts in the field, criminals do actually dissemble in order to achieve the early release that they crave. Uh, and then he talks about his own family suffering, not at the hands of a terrorist, but at the hands of a uh, a former convict who was allowed out early, uh, who murdered his wife's cousin, because basically the, the, the people supervising him thought that he was all right because he'd attended an anger management course. You know, this is the kind of culture in which we live, and it's the kind of culture that has been in existence for decades in this country, and it's the kind of culture that has led to exactly what happened on Friday.
3: I think one of the ways you have to see terrorism, Mike, is that terrorist attacks... They're about making a statement and are about sending a message. And Usman Khan on Friday sent a message to us, and that message was: "You are idiots. Mm. I can kid you along, and then I will get right into your bosom and I will attack you. And there's not that much that you're going to do about it because we're hardwired almost not to respond." And also, you know, see the best in people. And we're, we're very sensitive to criticism, uh, very scared. Uh, you know, the authorities increasingly scared of being called racist or Islamophobic. Um, you know, it won't be too long until, I'm afraid, Friday's story pivots into what some people are comfortable in talking about. And that's, you know, racism, uh, Islamophobia, alleged um you know, mistakes by politicians in their rhetoric, in their language, um, dog whistle politics, that will soon become the narrative if we allow it. So I'm afraid we, we really have to hold people's feet to the fire on this and say that these mistakes cannot be repeated. We need to be looking at these 74 individuals um very closely but we need a structural change and a cultural change and the cultural change is going to be the hardest one to do
2: yeah much has been made of the change in the law in 2008 by the labor government which i don't particularly want to dwell on because to be honest the labor government the tory governments in the past uh, sort of two decades or three uh, have not been particularly brilliant at this it's a terrible problem ever since 9-11 as tony blair said at the time the world has changed we live in a very different world this guy uh, was born and raised in stoke just because his parents come from Pakistan, why would you automatically assume uh, that he would become a Muslim fanatic? There's no reason to think that. However, it's very clear that there have been massive mistakes made around the monitoring of people like Anjum Chowdhury, around the de programmes and around what goes on inside prison once these people go there.
3: Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, Anjem Chowdhury because his group, al uh as was, has, has been central to so many terrorist plots, terrorist um, cases. Yeah. And it's worth remembering when that group first emerged in the 1990s, it was regarded really as a bit of a joke. And there was a there was a documentary, for example, John Ronson did that sort of, uh, you know, regarded these guys as just sort of all laughable idiots, and nobody will really fall for that. Well, the unfortunate thing is lots of people have and that this group, you know, occurs again and again in a whole series of, of terrorist plots and although the government after 7-7 prescribed uh, al-Mahajroun, what, what, what it was basically allowed to do was to set up a whole series of, of subsequent groups, um, Muslims Against Crusades, Islam for UK, you'll remember all the all the different names, the Sharia Project, and Basically you had the same group of guys just defying the law, gaming the law, by setting up new organisations. And what tended to happen was sometimes the authorities would prosecute them for particular offences. They were never prosecuted en masse for membership of an illegal organisation. And I think with hindsight, that was probably a significant mistake. Mm. What we've seen with the far-right group National Action is the exact opposite approach, making the organisation illegal, and then when the guys involved are still hanging out together and allegedly trying to maintain the group, they get arrested, prosecuted for membership of a prescribed group. And, you know, with particular reference to Usman Khan, you know, we're letting somebody out halfway through their sentence who has been a member of a prescribed
2: organisation. Yeah, and who has also been arrested, convicted and imprisoned for attempting uh, to plot various murders, various murderous schemes, and a whole host of ghastly uh, attacks that were being planned by him and his cohorts. And suddenly, the belief is that, oh, well, he's probably going to be fine now because we've had him in prison, and he says that he wants to change. I mean, it beggars belief that people are so naive as to take this guy at his word. And I mean, for heaven's sake, the last thing we want to do is, is be harsh on what the organisation was that hosted him into London. But to give him a free pass to ride on a train on his own, unaccompanied, albeit wearing uh, some kind of monitoring bracelet, is, is, is hard to believe in itself. I mean, what if he decided to attack the people on the train? Well,
3: there's, there's a whole series of, of possibilities in terms of when he started to to plan the attack and uh, what was uh, what was particularly on his mind. Um, as you say, on this occasion it seems he was allowed to travel on his own. He'd apparently attended a similar event in the past when he'd been escorted into London. Um, but you know, the, the fact of having to escort somebody, um, you know, to attend an event. Surely indicates a degree of danger and a degree of uh, of, of problem uh, potentially about that individual. Right. It, it seems easy not to bother, doesn't it? As, you know, as any degree of common sense would. But
2: but this is my point about the the system and the the liberal forgiveness that goes on, which is that basically, oh, well, we can turn him into a nice man. We can turn him away from these hateful thoughts because he's told us that he wants to change. In fact, they were so convinced of his um, de-radicalisation that they were proposing that he become a student at Cambridge University.
3: Well, yes. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure lots of other people would have uh, liked the opportunity to go to Cambridge and uh, and didn't get it. I think I I made it as far as Wolverhampton Polytechnic. Yeah. But um, the the reality, as well, is if you look at these things internationally, as as, as our analysts do. We've actually seen similar cases where the authorities appear to have been hoodwinked by somebody you know, within their bosom, if you like. Yeah. So back in 2009 there was a deadly attack, a suicide bombing on the CIA in Afghanistan at Camp Chapman. Somebody they recruited as an informer Somebody who, uh, you know, they believed wanted to to work with them to defeat the Taliban, and you know, he killed those who he'd been working with. And just back in October, the police um, appear to have missed in France the uh, remember the guy who murdered four police officers. Yes. you know, was was somebody working within the intelligence division of the of the French police? It had been noted apparently that he'd made extreme comments around the time of the Charlie Hebdo attacks, but he'd remained in post.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, this guy was part of the government's Prevent and Desistance and Disengagement programme. He'd joined up, he'd signed up, he'd become one of the subjects of that programme, um, and clearly the people running that programme, I'm afraid to say, uh, don't know their elbow from another part of their anatomy.
3: No, there was was a very good piece in the Sunday Times yesterday by Ian uh, Aitchison, who's one of our leading uh, experts on this, and uh, he'd done a a big report uh, for the prison service back in... uh, sorry, for the Justice Secretary back in 2016, mm. uh, that was opposed by the prison service. And that was very much his finding, that the police and the intelligence services didn't really rate the prison service, didn't think they were on the ball, didn't think they took the, uh, the challenges seriously enough. And I, I know that's also been a, a department that's been greatly underfunded in recent years. But he put forward all these um, recommendations and the majority weren't enacted. And that looks now like an enormous blunder.
2: Yes, it does. And surely now we also have to be looking at a separation of prisoners from regular sort of crime, if you like, and, and terrorism. You have to treat them differently. I don't think we could be looking at sending terrorists and people who wish to do us harm because of their terrorist ideology into normal prisons with normal people who they might affect even worse.
3: Well, a, a lot of these guys are, are in Category A, um, Prison, certainly in the, uh, the early parts of their sentence. I mean, there's, there's two arguments here, Mike, really, that the, the danger of just separating people off is that they then, if they're still allowed to associate with each other, is they provide a sort of mutual support network for one another and, you know, they enforce the rules and regulations, if you like, of the terrorist group, which is what we saw in Northern Ireland, if you remember the, the different wings in the maze. Yes, uh, you know the loyalist wing, uh, the IRA wing, and they would be under the control of the officer commanding of the of the different paramilitary groups. Yeah. Um, there's there's some evidence. Um, was a guy, uh, O'Doherty, o- I think he was called a former IRA guy, who-, who insisted in coming out of that system, going into the normal prison population uh, this was in the late 1980s. And over time, others like him, who didn't agree with the IRA or UDA anymore, were able to go in amongst the sort of ordinary decent criminals mm. and, if you like, became de-radicalised by leaving those structures. Yes, so the, 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 there is a there's, a there's a there's a debate here to be had. I think we probably need to move much more towards a system where these guys are separated away, but their association with one another is virtually is virtually zero. Well, that. Not able well, to well I've got a plan, those plan for that. Well, I've got a plan for
2: that. But I've got a plan for that, Paul. Why don't you just build separate prisons, separate institutions, and just keep them in solitary confinement? You know, I don't re- really see why anyone who wishes to destroy Western civilization wishes to destroy Western culture, hates the West because of some ridiculous faith-based ideology, why in the hell should we treat them the same as we treat everybody else? You know, why can we not treat them as they would treat us, i.e. lock them up and don't let them out?
3: I think that needs to be part of the the review that's uh, going to have to take place and the sooner it takes place, the
2: better. You know, and the trouble is, I know very well from just saying what I've said, I'll be labelled as some right-wing fanatic uh, who doesn't believe that people have got any right to liberalism or any right to freedom of speech or any right to freedom of association. Well, I'm sorry. If you're willing to stab innocent people, even those people who are better and, and even more improved than innocent, they're actually people trying to help you to rehabilitate your life and you treat them with absolute disdain and you murder them in cold blood. I don't believe anybody like him deserves anything better than to be shot dead uh, like a dog on the bridge.
3: Well, we've now seen, Mike, I think it's 91 Britons killed uh, in terrorist attacks this century by by jihadists, and I think the message does need to get across to people. There's nothing progressive about allowing your fellow citizens to be murdered in the the streets.
2: Exactly right. Dr Paul Stott, thank you very much indeed. Research fellow at the Henry Jackson Society. I'm sorry, the more I think about what happened on Friday, the more angry I get, because not only is London my city, uh, London Bridge is my bridge. I work here, I live about a mile away, I do not expect to walk to work, or any of my colleagues to walk to work, and risk being stabbed to death by some lunatic uh, who thinks that He's got it right and we've all got it wrong. I don't see any reason why we should let any of these people out once they've been found guilty and convicted of a terrorism offence. Why should we give them a second chance? What is the point? 0344 499 1000. I'd like to hear from some of you this morning. We are your election station. This is Talk Radio.
0: Across the UK, online and on DAB.
1: The
2: Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Radio. Dorothy has tweeted into the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are your election station, of course. She says, our political discourse is now so debased that these debates are largely politics as entertainment, if you find freak shows entertaining. Well, Dorothy, what I was saying is I believe, and I feel as though it's all been kind of hijacked, I'm afraid, by the individual people running the debates and running uh, the interviews. Andrew Marr trying to make a name for himself. Andrew Neil, uh, very much doing a much better job than Andrew Marr, but at the same time, it's all about him rather than about his subject matter. Similarly, uh, when the debates are on, you've got the people who are in charge of the debates making sure that they're interrupting people all the time, and it's just, it's just not working for me. I just don't think there is any point to it, I'm afraid. Uh, but let's go north of the border, uh, because Nicholas Sturgeon's been taking part in lots of these debates, of course. They've got a bit of a problem up there, though. Uh, they've run out of gas Uh, And it's very cold, minus five degrees. There's been some huge failure uh, of a gas main scenario. Let's talk to Stuart Weir, uh, who's shivering somewhere near Fingal's Cave, I think. Uh, Stuart, (laughs) a very good morning to you.
4: Hey? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, there's there's no shortage of hot air when it comes to politicians. That's in true. These parts, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No. The the, the problem uh, in Scotland is that uh, yesterday morning uh, there were quite a few people woke up to the fact that their houses were rather chilly. Yes. Uh, given the fact there was a rather substantial gas failure around the Falkirk area, which meant that eight thousand customers—that's not eight thousand individuals—that's yeah. customers. Wow. Um, so eight thousand households, effectively. Yeah households yeah mike uh, businesses and schools um so as a result the uh, the gas fitters have been out and the engineers have been out f- you have to reverse engineer this to start with because you have to go around and check all the properties to make sure the gas is off right before you can even turn it back on again right. so out of the eight thousand properties they have visited somewhere in the region of about three thousand. Mm. it's meant that uh uh, schools are uh, off today. Thank goodness nobody developed gas televisions all those years ago. Yeah, right. Um, but I mean, are, I'll tell you, are, you are what, t- this, will,
2: this will be bad news if you've got a gas boiler or something like that, because an awful lot yep. of these things, if they go off in those kind of temperatures, st- pipes are going to freeze, they're going to be all kinds of problems, aren't
4: they? There are. And and yesterday, couldn't it, be, couldn't it be much worse? Because over the last couple of days, There have been minus temperatures in these parts, central belt of Scotland, minus two, minus three, but it's never actually lifted at all. So it's been very cold and people were complaining about waking up in their properties yesterday and them feeling like ice boxes. So there's no way of them being thawed out. The authorities, they, um, they're they uh, giving out uh, heaters uh, and various other uh, devices to try and throw some of the people out, and some of the households yeah. out. But this could carry on for a few days, maybe even up until the weekend. So quite a major problem. Well, it really is. And, and, and sh- shocking in its
2: way, because surely this kind of thing should have, there should be a backup plan of some kind. I mean, what about hospitals and places like that?
4: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the way these systems are put in place, be it electricity or gas or be it water, you, you have basically almost like substations mm. and, um, you know, just to try as, as a safety measure and a precaution to to actually uh, safeguard the, the users. But it also means that in such occasions that there's no way of circumventing or bypassing the actual pipes that are going into people's houses. Mm. So people just have to wrap up a bit warmer, use the, uh, the the blowers and the heaters that are being given out by the Scottish Gas Network uh, to their customers mm. and then hope that the actual engineers can cure this in, a, in the next couple of days. Right, exactly
2: right. And I mean, as far as the heaters being handed out and stuff, that's all very well. But if you're a pensioner and they're giving you a free heater, presumably you've still got to pay for the electricity. So how does that work?
4: Mm. Well, I think will be again. It's all rather contrived and convoluted, is not it? They give you a heater to heat yourself up, and then you have to make a subsequent claim, probably, mm. to actually claim the electricity back. Now, this is not. This is not. It's never easy when somebody says, "Well, just pay for something and then claim for it back." It yeah. never works out that you actually gain anything. But I do imagine. Well, and also, be if you haven't got people- that,
2: if mean, you haven't got that kind of money, not you I know, mean, a lot of people, as we know, are living sort of hand to mouth. You can't suddenly go, "Oh, here's an extra hundred quid to pay for some electricity." that you didn't know you were going to have to spend.
4: Yeah, absolutely, and and we all know that in certain electrical devices, and I imagine that these uh, blowers and these heaters would come into this category, you can sit and watch your meter whirling around like a fairground, mm. because it, it, it really starts to clock up the, the, the cash, and and again, there are people out there who will be using various methods to pay for their electricity, who will find themselves not only with no gas, but also no electricity, yeah. so it's a major a major concern for these people, especially having young families.
2: And who is the sort of the, the the final bill payer here, as it were, is it a gas company? Is it the government? Who 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 is going to be picking up the tab for this?
4: Well, the Scottish Gas Network are, who are um, they actually are, are responsible for the, the supplies. So is that a private company? Back, it will come back. Scottish Gas Network, Yeah, it will come back to them. So again, it's like the same as your electricity uh, providers. The gas companies are the same. So it will come back to them. And this is a major failure because you have to you have to look at it as, as a customer. Mm. You, they have actually failed you, so therefore, whatever it takes to put it right is their responsibility. But as I say, I said earlier, good luck to those that are filling out filling out claims forms before Christmas. The one good thing is that you might have actually a brand new heater blower to give to somebody for their Christmas as a Christmas present, and that might be the only thing that you get out of this. But again, yesterday. I think with all the frost um, and, the, and the the fact that the trees and the ground were, was very white, I think some people took the opportunity to put up uh, Christmas trees. Well, <laughs> right. by the end of the day, we we're probably chopping it up for firewood.
2: Yeah, probably. Yeah, absolutely right. This is the time when you need to have a proper fireplace, of course. But, uh, you know, the eco-maniacs will try to stop you doing that because it's too hot. Uh, obviously not in Scotland. <laughs> Stuart, thanks very much indeed. We'll be talking about the climate uh, summit coming up in a little while because not only is there a NATO summit uh, up in uh, Watford, there's also a climate summit. Going on over in Madrid, uh, which is just currently getting underway. Lots of people have flown in for it. See what I did there? This is Talk Radio.
0: Dangerous mid morning debate with the great dictator.
2: The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. pair of sun ears nothing to do with the sun newspaper by the way although if they're smart they'll get on this one start handing out free sun ears with every Saturday edition or something maybe I'll give them a a heads up we're going to talk to Emma Kenny in a minute about that because apparently if you suffer from seasonally affected disorder these could actually really help you we'll tell you all about it coming up very shortly let's go to Ava first though uh, who's in North Cadbury hello Ava
1: hello Mike Nice, Um, nice to hear from you what would you like to tell me and Well, great radio show, by thank the way, you. and and uh, just as an aside, I actually um, t- helped my sister download the Talk Radio app onto her iPhone, oh, so that well, she great. could listen to you. Thank you, no,
2: that's brilliant, thank <laughs> so you very much. So no
1: wonder, no wonder your numbers are growing. Great. Um, but anyway, I wanted to talk about um, rehabilitation of uh, of inmates. Yes. I, I worked in the criminal justice system in Canada for a few years, and um I studied criminal justice as part of my, you know, an extra that right. I was allowed to do um, during my training, and uh, I I came to the conclusion that there was really nothing that would um, cause inmates to change change their attitudes, change their ways, or decriminalise them until unless unless they wanted to do right. it.
2: Did you find Um, there was a difference depending on what their crime had been, as it were?
1: um, No, not really, Mm. because, uh, you know, thieves went on stealing, uh, pedophiles went on uh, abusing children, um, you know, and, and that happened. But the, the major factor was that they grew out of it. Now, I, I do have to say that I did not deal with terrorists. Okay. And I kind of agree with that chap who phoned in, uh, uh, who you were talking to, an, an expert you were talking to earlier, yeah. who said that you need to keep them away from the general in, inmate population, and um, but you also need to not put them in an enclave of their own, separate them yes. from each other, or maybe... Cut down like for uh, freedom of religion is a, an important part of um, of jail life, and that they um, they should be given the Quran to read. I'm talking about Islamic terrorists now. Um, given the Quran to read, um, allowed to pray five times a day. But they shouldn't be able to congregate and talk about, you know, the next place they want to blow well, up exactly. as soon as they get out I just, of there. I just, think, yeah. I just
2: feel as though we haven't got a system that operates properly to deal with people like this. And I think like a lot of things in society that have changed, you therefore need to change with those things in order to, to make sure that you can be in control.
1: There's always a time lag, though, and maybe we're, we're not experienced enough at, at having a justice system or... Um, you know a jail system mm. that
2: can deal with these can deal with these issues yeah and also and, Ava, and, i mean i'm sure you've seen some cases where people will have been able to rehabilitate themselves because they've wanted to but it doesn't come as any great surprise to me i've been saying this for years that a lot of these criminals are particularly violent nasty horrible people Um, are very good at manipulating those around them. They're very good at pretending that they're all fine now. I mean, how many cases have we seen of people being released from prison because some parole board decided that they were no longer a danger to the community and then they went and did something terrible?
1: Yeah, we all used to say in the jail where I worked that they all find Jesus once they get into jail. Yes, Obviously, yes. they find somebody else in some or somebody cases, else, but... yeah, I know. But it is,
2: but it's, you're absolutely right, Ava. Thank you very much. Interesting perspective there from Ava, who worked in the criminal justice system and says uh, that she does not believe anybody can be rehabilitated if they do not wish to be. And I think that's absolutely right and absolutely true. And I think, you know, the problem we have now is that we're going to have to find new ways of dealing with terrorists who are, let's face it, fanatics. They're hardly going to not become fanatics overnight. There may be some who can rehabilitate themselves, but we have to safeguard the public first and foremost, surely, rather than allowing people out on the off chance that they tell us, I'm all right now. I don't think that's good enough, and I think the people deserve to be treated better. Let's talk to Emma Kenny, though, on something uh, slightly less important, um, and uh, nevertheless, uh, still quite important to people who suffer from seasonally affected disorder. Emma, very good morning to you. Welcome. Thank you.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks very much. Well, um, what about this thing? Um, I've never heard anything like these sun ears before, but we were talking to uh, a colleague of ours up in Scotland, Stuart Weir, a minute ago about them having a terrible uh, gas problem and it's very cold and very dark up there. They get less than seven hours of daylight throughout the winter in the Scottish Highlands. And a lot of people I know feel a lot more depressed in the winter time when there's not so much sun, particularly when the sun's not out. I mean it's nice in London today, the sun's shining, and when the sun's shining you feel a lot better. But in those days where it's kind of grim and grey and it hardly feels like you've you've actually turned the lights off in the house, <laughs> some some people feel really awful. Yeah, actually
0: about eighty percent of us are affected by subsidromal FAD, which is basically the winter blues. Obviously, there are some people out there just to say there's a difference between people who have what you're talking about, feeling a bit off, mm. and people who have what we consider clinically seasonal affect disorder. Because is it, is it really that?
2: Is thing. it that bad for some people then?
0: Oh yeah, it can be absolutely dreadful. It can almost feel not that it's bipolar, but that same kind of level of suddenly absolutely absolute low. Yeah. And
2: I is that can- is that a sort of chemical thing then?
0: Yeah, so one of the big things is melatonin. Right. So melatonin is one of the things that's regulated by like the blue light from the sun. The, the, the white light that you experience to some degree, but it's kind of a, a blue light really that internalizes it. And what that does is it regulates how much of that melatonin that you secrete. And if you kind of secrete in too one of the big problems we've got is that we use our computers now, screens all the time, so that mimics that kind of light. So mm. our brains doesn't know what is regulating, what is not regulating, and therefore we're getting overloaded sometimes with something that makes us sluggish. It makes us want to eat loads of. Shit sugary and carby food. It makes us feel quite low. They're all real. The thing about light, and one of the big problems that we've got, is that even in really cold weather, and as you were saying then, where you've got like seven hours of daylight, Mm. if you read online, it will say things like, oh, try and get out for 20 minutes a day in the sun. Now, even... In, if you're next to the equator you're going to have to get out for that amount of time in the uk you're going to have to go out for about an hour and a half right. really to get that amount of light on your skin and that's going to translate to the way that your brain regulates all of those chemicals and makes you feel better 10 percent of us now work outdoors of restaurants that are in offices. So we're not even looking after our mental health in the way that we need to. And the problem we've really got is that people introduce these things. It's great. Those kind of things that get the know, sensitivity to the brain and make light get into the areas that we're designed to have light, that's important. But really, it's giving us another shortcut, isn't it? It's saying what you really need to do is to look after what you eat, exercise and get out in the sunlight, even in the cold, for as often as you can. And we know it, but we don't do it. No. So That's why we're feeling
2: depressed. <laughs> okay. Well, now we've got the answer, haven't we? Because it's been invented in Finland, which I suppose <laughs> is a place that has pretty dark winters. They, do, they, sh- they
0: have really bad times. They yeah. have Really bad mental health areas. In that, yeah, in that time. Yeah,
2: exactly. The human charger costs 175 quid. as somehow uh, is a white light emitting device. I'm not certain how this works. I mean, they're calling it Sun ears. Does it mean? It, does it clip onto your ears or something?
0: I'm, I've not actually heard about this, but what I would assume and what I can imagine that they're talking about there that with something that goes into the actual ear itself, right. the canal itself, but it translates the actual light itself. The so light must hit it and get into the brain areas, but it's meant to be regulated, so it's meant to kind of create the right chemicals. Okay. And presumably, that wouldn't be for too long, I would imagine, every day. Right. However, there are other things that people can do, such as you can... For example, you can get a white light um, projector in your room, you can get a phototherapy lamp. There are all these things, but nothing, and no matter what anybody says, nothing can ever be better no. than getting out. And that's the key, what we're doing. Or just getting here. on a
2: plane to Marbella so what, or something.
0: Right. You know, what we're doing is we're creating shortcuts which avoid the reality of what we need as a human. It's like me saying now, well, of course I can do therapy with you by text, and I'm sure that will have some benefit. But it's not the same as sitting with me, and it's the same with these kind of things. Look, with with SAD, there's a lot you can do, and a huge amount you can do for yourself. For example, you could get some of those, and you could get a phototherapy light. That might start you off in the right direction. But what you can also do is you can make absolutely sure that your diet is full of leafy greens, lots of blueberries, lots of really high-level vitamins, you know, in, in really vitamin-high um, fruit and, and veg and all of these things. You can also get exercise and you can go for a run. You can sit outside in the cold with a coat on, get the natural light, and you can stop, and this is a big one, you can stop using your computers late at night, and everybody will be like, how can that be possible? How can we survive? But the truth is, I'm telling you now, if you stop using your computer and your screens two hours before you go to bed, you're going to sleep better and you're going mm. to feel happier. And all these things, and we're creating all this amazing magic, magic with technology but we're defeating the one thing that we need, which is what humans <laughs> really require. And <laughs> I, assume,
2: I assume when you say computers, you mean phones as well and iPads and all
0: Absolutely. that. Absolutely, because it mimics blue light. So the light that you're kind of getting, your brain's confused. It's thinking, oh, is it, is it really daylight? Is yeah. it high levels of daylight? So then how can you sleep? Because you're being taught the wrong things and cues for your brain. We are animals and we hate that. Humans have got this big issue with calling yourself an animal. We're an animal we have primordial, instinctual requirements and you have to cater for them.
2: As Some are know. more animal than others, of course. Well, of
0: course. <laughs> I just highlighted in the previous thing you were talking about. Yeah, right.
2: Funnily yeah. enough, my dog, right, my dog in the wintertime, time it thinks it's dinner time a lot earlier than it actually is. You know, he gets to normally, so yeah. instead of having his food at, say, five o'clock, and we know that the, the clocks have changed as well. But So You're even right. taking that into account, he starts sort of looking at me for his dinner at about three now yeah. because cause it's, 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 that, you know, it's yeah. that dark.
0: That's right. And we'd also, you know, the good thing about dog walkers is we do get out as well. So yeah. to be honest, you know, part of it is your loss will probably be hungry at that point from his walk. But one of the great things with your dog is that he's regulating it. His biologians are very much in time and keeping with the environment. So yes. he'd have his dinner early and then he'd go to sleep for longer. And yeah. that, to some degree, is how his rhythm will work. We can't do that in the modern day because we've got lives that aren't conducive to the way that we operate. And no. that's a problem. The yeah, that right. doesn't work for
2: us. <laughs> well, the woman, the woman who's sort of had identified this thing and, and tried it out basically says that the light-emitting device stimulates the photosensitive receptors of the brain. Right. And she says it's better than a light box because the problem with a light box is you can't really go anywhere. You just have to sit there looking at it, you know. Whereas with yeah, this, I think yeah, you can yeah. walk around this thing.
0: Yeah, presumably, and you can just do it whilst you're on your dinner hour. And I think anything is great to kind of additionally... It's better to have something like that than not to have. Yeah. But for me, I am so exhausted watching people walking past me, particularly in the capital. I don't see anybody looking up because you're all looking at your phone, Yeah. And then you're wondering why you're depressed. And we have... Oh, you've got headphones in or something. Right. So start connecting with each other. Go and have a chat with somebody in a shop. You know, do something that socializes you. That will save your life in the long term. That's what gives people long, happy lives. So the answers are there. You don't just need your earphones. You need to get out there and connect and get in nature and go and exercise and do all the things that we harp on about and everyone nods their heads at me and then doesn't do. Because if I give you a comparative, a person who's doing what I'm saying versus a person who isn't, I can tell you who will be leading a happier, healthier life. Yeah. And we all have that within our power and it doesn't have to cost 175 pounds. You
2: see, I, I very much uh, adopt your point of view because I go up to people who I don't even know and within yes. five minutes they're arguing with me, you know, which is great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well actually you are you know what's weird you know what's weird you actually laugh as we may the fact that you converted people constantly throughout the day the two biggest reasons why we live a long life is having close intimate relationships with people who love us and the second is interactions with anybody so you probably are protecting your lifelong experience just by doing this job. well
2: listen i'm very happy i always have been and i have many reasons to be happy and i could be miserable if i wanted to be but i'm just not one of those people
0: yeah, well, that's good old temperament. You got lucky enough to be born with it. May as well make
2: it work for you. (laughs) All right. Emma, thanks very much indeed. Emma Kenny there saying, just be happy. You know, talk to people. Get some experienced people around you. Get some experiences of your own. Talk about them. It's not a bad idea, is it? Uh, You don't need to buy any ears if you don't want to. This is Talk Radio.
0: Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.